Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, armchair detective and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. Ooh, before we get started, I want to tell you about a really cool podcast. Let Me Tell You a Scary Story is a paranormal podcast hosted by Anna Rose, who reads out true life creepy stories every Friday. These stories have happened to ordinary people all over the world and simply cannot be explained. They range from ghostly hauntings, glitch in the matrix tales, unexplained time lapses, alien sightings, possession, near misses, demons, doppelgangers, stalkers, true crime, and much more. Not only this, Anna is an award-winning voiceover artist and is sure to hook you in with her excellent smooth storytelling voice. So close the blinds, turn off the lights, snuggle under the quilt and enjoy Let Me Tell You a Scary Story, found on any podcast listening platform. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal Bazaar and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Alrighty, Mom, what are you going to be telling us about today? I am going to be telling you about a murderer named Warren Leslie Forrest out of Washington State. Oh, my story also comes out of Washington State. Woohoo! What is your story about? I'm going to be talking about Ape Canyon. It's a couple stories. Think... It's a little two-part. Okay. I don't think I am familiar with the name Ape Canyon, so be curious to see what it's about. And to go with my stories, I have the uh, Bardstown Derby or the Brown Derby. <clears throat> it's pretty much the same drink, but Bardstown Derby is a... Uh, from a famous cocktail bar in Washington. Okay. And this drink is one and a half ounces of bourbon, uh, one ounce of grapefruit juice, and a half ounce of honey syrup. And optionally, you can garnish with a grapefruit twist. Did you garnish? I did not garnish. <laughs> I garnished. Sort of. All right, let's try it. That's pretty good. That is good. It's not, I thought it was going to be really, really strong with the bourbon and not much else in there, but it's actually pretty good. I like how you can taste the bourbon pretty well too. And it's not just like 
it's not as harsh, I guess. Right. It's not the, I think the grapefruit and the honey syrup really kind of mellow out that strong alcohol flavor. So. Yes, I agree. It's very delicious. So let's talk about Ape Canyon. Ape Canyon is a gorge on the northeast side of Mount St. Helens. This beautiful canyon got its name after a group of miners, not the Jeffrey Epstein kind, but the kind with the pickaxe, were attacked in 1924 by a group of ape men. Oh, shit. It was... Uh, nighttime, mid-July, when the attack took place. After a long day of gold prospecting, the group of five miners made their way back to the small cabin where they cooked some supper and played cards. After settling in for bed, the men began hearing strange... Uh, ooh, that's not the right word. After settling in for bed, the men began hearing something hit the outside of their cabin. Uh, the now wide-awake... Miners took a look outside to investigate, and this is when they saw a small group of large, hairy, bipedal creatures, which they called ape men, throwing large rocks at them from all sides. Oh. They ran back inside to avoid the projectiles and figure out a plan. After a few minutes of being pelted with rocks, the men grabbed their pistols and began to shoot at their attackers through, like, little uh, holes in their cabin. That's convenient to have a hole in your cabin so you can shoot out of it. Yeah. I think they were designed for that. I think they were like rifle holds. Uh, The two groups took turns exchanging fire all night. And at some point, one of the eight men reached into the cabin and grabbed the handle of an axe. But the miners were able to stop it from getting it outside. Oh, shit. Yeah. I better chop their house down. Oh, yikes. As the men saw the sun rising, they finally built up enough courage to leave the cabin. One miner named Fred Beck spotted an ape man on a nearby ridge and fired, claiming he hit the ape man and watched it tumble into the canyon. Oh. The leading theory is that a group of kids from a nearby camp uh, run by the local YMCA were perpetrators. And it's believed that the shape of the canyon distorted the voices of the kids to make him sound beastly. But if that were the case, wouldn't there be a missing kid in Ape Canyon if the guy shot him? Yes. Yeah, so I would say that's a little less credible of a theory. Plus, kids aren't particularly hairy. And didn't they say they were hairy? Yeah. The descriptions of them were hairy. Okay. And if kids are throwing rocks at something, that's a normal kid thing to do. I understand that. But if they start shooting at you, usually the kids would stop, right? They wouldn't Uh, keep doing it for the rest of the night. (laughs) You'd think they would leave, but you never know. (laughs) I mean, some kids are a little denser than others. 
So while this attack was pretty bizarre, it's not the only strange thing that happened in Ape Canyon. An accomplished skier and mountaineer, Jim Carter, mysteriously disappeared from a group of friends and fellow skiers. And many attribute his disappearance to the same phenomena that attacked these gold miners. In May of 1950, over 25 years after the mining incident, Jim Carter went on a skiing trip with around 20 other people. Their plan was to hike up Mount St. Helens, find a good route for skiing, and make their way down the mountain like that. After finding their route, the group took off down the mountains, taking intermittent breaks. During one of their breaks, at a point called Dog's Head, which is about a thousand feet, or sorry, 8,000 feet up the mountain, Jim offered to head down to the left side of the mountain to get a good picture of the group coming down. Jim set off down the left side, and as the group waited for a few minutes to allow Jim to get the spot, oop, I butchered that one. Jim set off down the left side as the group waited for a few minutes to allow Jim to get to the spot and set up the camera. Because this is the 50s. You can't just take a picture with their iPhone. You got to like set up an actual camera. Right. It's a slower process. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the rest of the group set off and noticed Jim wasn't at the spot that he said he was going to be. They waited for a minute before ultimately deciding to head down because they thought, Jim might be waiting for them at the bottom of the mountain. Only Jim wasn't waiting for them at the bottom, so they called authorities and a search was initiated. Investigators were able to locate Jim's tracks. He started out like any other ski tracks, but then halfway down they changed. Jim had completely straightened out, meaning Jim went from regular skiing and like a little curvy pattern... To just going balls to the wall, full speed, straight down the mountain as fast as he possibly could. That's terrifying. His tracks went on for a while like this, and he he had jumped over three ice crevasses that if he didn't time correctly would result in serious injury or death, meaning that he had to jump them at full speed to have a chance of making it. Uh, Nope, not doing that. Mm -mm. Nope. Jim's tracks continued at full speed all the way off the edge of Ape Canyon, which would kill anyone. So his tracks just went straight down, jumping over a couple death-defying stunts, and then just shooting off the edge of Ape Canyon. Okay. So he basically went off a cliff. His tracks went off a cliff. Okay. So 75 searchers looked for Jim's body in Ape Canyon. For 10 days before calling it quits. Oh. They found no tracks, no body, and no evidence that Jim had landed in Ape Canyon. However, due to his tracks, that would be the only place his body could be. No one knows what happened to Jim Carter, but many speculate, including the head of the search party, that the same creature that attacked the miners had scared Jim off the mountain and forced him to run. And that is Yikes. some weird things that take place in Ape Canyon. Ooh. You said that's up by Mount St. Helens? Yeah, it's on the northeast side, I believe. Okay. Okay. My Washington story is South Washington. So 
okay. does not sound like it's in the same area. Is that up north or in the middle? I think it's more in the middle, but I honestly can't say that I know. I know I've driven past it when driving into Washington, but I've never really paid attention before. Okay. My stories like Portland, Vancouver-ish, so it's right across the border there and, you know, like 15 miles north of the border, essentially. So that's like the northeast or the north version of the state of Jefferson. It's like that area is just it, it's the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I will get into my story then, since we're on a Washington kick, and I will tell you about Warren Leslie Forrest. He was born in Vancouver, Washington, June of 1949. He grew up in Vancouver, and after graduating school, he was drafted to the Army to fight in the Vietnam War. After being discharged from the Army, he returned to Washington and married his high school sweetheart in August of 1969. The couple later had two children. In 1970, Forrest began attending college in Newport Beach, California, but soon after he started, he dropped out of school. It was like he basically did one term and then said, peace out. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, which I get. I Don't get me wrong. College sucks. Get it. Later that year, the couple moved to Battleground, Washington, a town in southern Washington outside of Vancouver. Forrest was hired to work for the Clark County Parks Department. I didn't really, I, I saw that he worked for the Parks Department, but I didn't see like if he did something specific or if it was like across the entire county. So multiple parks, but um, he's familiar with the area as we will discover. Okay. In the spring of 1972, two women were hiking around in an abandoned silo on one of Clark County's parks when they found a body partially buried under some boards. Initially, investigators thought it might be the body of missing plane hijacker D.B. Cooper, who we discussed a few episodes ago. Mm. This is how I found this case was I was when I was researching the D.B. Cooper story. It mentioned this body and how they thought it was him and then went, oh, no, it's a girl. So it's definitely not D.B. Cooper. It's a young girl as well. So the body turned out to be that of 18-year-old missing woman, Barbara Derry. She was last seen about six weeks prior while she was trying to hitchhike out of Vancouver. Her body was partially clothed and missing her bra. She died from a stab wound to the chest, but there wasn't enough evidence to find her murderer. Two years later, in early July 1974, 19-year-old Krista Blake went missing after she had been seen getting inside of a blue van driven by a white male. Two years later, her partially skeletonized body was discovered by two men on Tooks Mountain, another park inside of Clark County, Washington. I don't like the word partially skeletonized. 
Yeah. Really fucking gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think it was real great because it was two years after she went missing. So it couldn't have been good. I can't imagine finding something like that on a hike. Like, That's why I don't hike. I, <laughs> I prefer not ditto. to. <laughs> ditto. Uh, so when she was located, she was partially clothed and her bra was missing. She had been tied up with baling twine. Investigators also noticed small holes in, uh, in her clothes, uh, the ones that were found on her body, which proved to be an important finding later. However, at the time, the meaning of those holes was not evident. In mid-July 1974, so this is a couple uh, months later, 15-year-old Norma Countryman was hitchhiking out of Ridgefield, Washington, a town approximately 15 miles from Battleground. Forrest was driving a blue Ford van and offered Norma a ride. Once inside the van, Forrest physically assaulted and raped Norma. He drove her to Tooks Mountain, approximately 20 miles away from Ridgefield, which is where she was hitchhiking from. She was outside of there, and so he drove her about 20 miles away. Forrest then bound and gagged Norma and left her tied to a tree. Norma was able to chew through her gag and free herself, but she was scared that Forrest would come back for her, so she spent the night hiding under some bushes. The next day, she was able to get help from a parks employee, and her assault was reported to the police. However, her attacker was not quickly identified. Not yet, anyway. A few weeks after Norma was attacked, another young woman went missing. Her name was Martha Morrison, and she was 17 years old. She was a frequent runaway and was known to hitchhike. She went missing basically from Oregon. Her body was discovered in mid-October, but it went unidentified for over 40 years. Wow. Remember her name because I'm going to bring her up again later. She, she comes back into the story a while later. Okay. In early October, 20-year-old Daria Whiteman met Forrest in Portland, Oregon. He convinced her to get in his blue van by promising her modeling opportunities. Instead of doing a photo shoot with her, he drove her to a nearby park where he assaulted and raped her. He then proceeded to shoot Daria repeatedly with an air-powered dart gun. Huh? What is that? Yeah. Like a staple? Like a, a nail gun? N no, it's... They didn't really describe it. They just said it was an air-powered dart gun. So it was leaving multiple like little darts he was shooting at her but it wasn't like a mouth dart gun fuckers <laughs> using a, a blow gun <laughs> essentially yes but an air powered like an electric Jeez. kind of one it sounded like i didn't see any pictures or anything of it but um that's weird <laughs> yeah well he's you know it plays a factor later his next step was to drive to a lake near Camas, Washington, approximately 20 miles away, where he tied her with twine, stabbed her, and began strangling her. Darius soon fell unconscious, and thinking he had killed her, he removed her clothing and left her in some bushes. She was not dead. Thankfully, she survived. When she awoke a couple of hours later, she was able to make her way to the city and get help. 
Daria received life-saving medical attention at the local hospital, and she was able to give police a description of her attacker and of his vehicle. She also noted that during her time in his vehicle, she heard him talking with several park employees, which led police to believe that the attacker might also work for the parks department. So I guess if you have a victim in your vehicle, don't go chatting with your buddies, but, you know. Yeah, what the fuck? And also <laughs> imagine being in that city driving a blue van and you're just a normal guy. like <laughs> Right? You're just a white guy in a blue van and they're like, we're looking for the guy that's the blue van. Yeah. yeah, they pull up guns drawn. And this is the reason stories like this that I grew up thinking all creepers were in vans and was terrified of vans when I was a small child. Just saying. To be fair, it's a, it, that's a good logic to have. Most people with vans are creepy. It's creepy. Woof. After identifying Forrest as a potential match based on his vehicle and physical description, they were also able to determine he didn't have an alibi for the time of Daria's attack. Daria positively, positively identified Forrest as her attacker when presented with a photograph, and he was arrested for kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder. The case was publicized in the media, and that was when Norma Countryman, the 15-year-old that was attacked in July of that year, recognized his pictures, and she identified him as well. So she went to the cops and said, this was the dude that attacked me. Investigators were able to find Daria's missing clothing and her jewelry in Forrest's home, as well as the dart gun and twine that had been used on her. Why? Yeah. Why keep her stuff at your house? Because, uh, you know, they're not bright. <laughs> they're not bright. Although Norma confirmed Forrest's identity, the choice was made to only seek charges against him for Daria's attack. He pleaded not guilty for reason of insanity and was committed to state mental hospital. However, law enforcement wasn't done with him because they were looking at other cases. They wanted to get him solid on other cases before um, he could be let out of the mental institution. Because he, smart. yeah. They wanted him to go in prison, so... Yeah, yeah. You want to build yeah. the evidence and make a good case. Right. So yeah. All 12 jurors they, say guilty. Exactly. Exactly. They had several open cases that they thought he could be linked to, but there was only one with strong evidence, and that was Krista Blake's case. She was the murder victim who went missing in 1974, and her body was found two years later in the woods. That was the partially skeletonized body. Mm -hmm. She's the victim that I mentioned with the strange holes in her shirt. Those holes were not caused by either bullets or knives. Investigators actually believed that the holes were being had been caused by, by those darts from the air-powered dart gun. And they knew that he had used those in Darius' case when she talked to him. And they confiscated it when they searched his house. The twine found on Krista was also similar to the twine used on Daria and twine that was found in um, it was found in his possession when he was arrested for Darius' attack. So they got the twine. They matched him between the two cases. They got the twine from him that matched all the other stuff. And they got his dart gun. So I'm looking up the dart gun right now, and it looks like a yeah. real rifle. Like it, oh. 
Okay. It's like the things they shoot gorillas with in the zoo when they're being mm. angry. Yeah. Well, Weird. this guy wasn't shooting any tranquilizers or anything into anybody. It didn't say. So just he was just being nails. a dick. Yeah, he's <laughs> just being a dick. Yeah. He got a new toy. I wanted to try it out. Right. So in 1979, Forrest was found guilty of Krista Blake's murder and was sentenced to life in prison. So no more mental facility. We get to go to prison now. Although he was given a life sentence, he did have the opportunity for parole. And over the years, he applied several times. So that was 1979 when he was found guilty and he stayed in prison, even though he kept trying for parole, but they kept shooting it down. Our story does not end there, though, because over the years, law enforcement kept looking into some of those cold cases and unidentified bodies. One of those bodies was that of Martha Morrison. This is the one that I mentioned to remember her name, um, but her body wasn't identified for 40 years. In 2015, through DNA matching with relatives, investigators were able to positively identify Martha's remains. Then in nineteen. 19- In uh, 2019, investigators were able to match Martha's DNA to a sample found on the air gun, the dart gun, that Forrest had used on several of his victims. He, yes, he was convicted of her murder February of this year, 2023, and given another life sentence, and that is almost 50 years after her death gotta be a crazy feeling it's like oh you're getting called into court today maybe and they probably think like oh maybe i'm getting free or paroled or something and then it's just like another life sentence bitch (laughs) on a spinoff about this case martha's remains were found very close in proximity to another victim that victim's name was carol valenzuela Carol's remains were quickly identified at the time that her body was discovered, and she was believed to be a victim of Ted Bundy because he was running around mm. Washington in that time. Oh, really? Due to the, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, in the 70s. Due to the location of the bodies being so close together, there are now discussions being made that maybe Carol Valenzuela was not one of Bundy's victims, but was actually one of Forrest's victims. I don't know if there's any way that they could prove that at this time. I mean, it was kind of funny when I was looking all of this stuff up. She's Carol Valenzuela is listed as Ted Bundy's victim, but she was right next to Martha Morrison's body. So, I mean, what are the odds that two bodies are found next to each other geographically, like within a hundred yards or something of each other? And they happen to be two different killers. So that's crazy. Yeah. The, definitely don't go in there because it sounds like a drop spot for serial killers. They got right? a Yelp review on it. It's like, this one's really good for hiding bodies. Well, I guess not really good because they got found. Right. Exactly. But it definitely makes you wonder like, how many more are out there that haven't been found? <laughs> exactly. Again, I just like to avoid hiking. whatever place they were found at mm-hmm. altogether. Right. I bet somebody has put together like 
a geographical map of places like body was found here body was found here like like you could go there as like a tourist attraction or i would use it as a don't go hiking here uh, yeah there's gotta be a map for that right let's see i got internet pulled up right here give it a quick google (laughs) i can't even imagine some twick dark and twisted person has definitely that i can't be the first one to think of something like that there's a lot yeah there we're not too bad there's one in southern oregon looks like near klamath falls huh new East Coast has a bunch of red dots. <laughs> well, I will say there's a lot of dead bodies the, in Klamath. Yeah. Everything on the right-hand side of the Dakotas is just like giant red maps everywhere. Or it's giant just red a red everywhere. dot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Klamath Falls, the town that we're from, was supposedly the murder capital of the u.s for a short period of time because oh, like of, per capita yeah i so think small. so yeah there were a lot of murders that happened here it's not so bad now but yeah not good back in the day yeah Do you have a chaser for us today, Declan? I do have a chaser. Okay, so, I'm ready. There was, uh, I forget where this was located, but it doesn't really matter. There was a blind cat stuck in the middle of a lake somehow. Some uh, In a lake? Yeah, paddle boarders. They were like just what? paddling by and they see something like swimming and so they pull up check it out and it's like a little chunky tabby cat that's just in the middle of the lake somehow no one knows how it got there and the people put it on its kayak it was very tired and they took it home and started caring for it and now it's their cat it's just like a blind cat though how did it get out in the middle of the water that's well i don't want to be i don't want to say what i think but maybe he was just confused (laughs) i don't I'm going to go with that. I'm not going to take the simple <laughs> route and think that yeah. somebody did that on purpose. He, maybe he, because he's blind, he didn't realize the amount of water that he was stepping into. But mm, yeah, this is a I chaser, don't... so it's supposed to be happy. So we're just going to think about the yes. fact that the cute little kitty got rescued. And I'm so glad that he and, got rescued. And taken care of by a loving family. That's awesome. His name was Baby, I believe. Baby. Oh, mm-hmm. So sweet. I'm going to have to go look up pictures of Baby. I want to see how cute he is. <laughs> uh, what's your chaser for us, Mom? My chaser today is that I found some mixology apps. Mm-hmm. You might be wondering what those are. So I found mm-hmm. two of them. One is called Make a Cocktail, and the other one is Cocktail Flow. So these apps 
will help you make drinks. And I thought that just fits so well with our podcast and who we are. So the Make a Cocktail app allows you to enter your bar content so you can put in all of the liquors that you have at hand. You can put in your mixers, you can put in other things that you have on hand, like if you have limes, if you have lemonade, if you have ginger beer, stuff like that. You can put everything in your house in there that you want. And then it will make you a cocktail based on what you have on hand. What was that app called again? I'm going to download it right now. Uh, Make a cocktail. Yeah. And then the other app that I found was Cocktail Flow. And this one's a little different. You don't enter your bar contents, but it allows you to pick a liqueur or a liquor that you want to have them give you the cocktails for. So like if you have gin and you're like, I really want to drink gin tonight, you can pick gin and then it'll give you a bunch of cocktails that include gin. And it also says how strong the drink is. So if you're like, I just want to, you know, I want to get wasted. So I'm going to drink only strong drinks or I'm looking for a shot or whatever. um, Versus I just want something light and refreshing. You can look at that based on the rating of the drink. So I just thought that was really cool. I I used it last night. I only have one issue with the, uh, the cocktail flow is that you can't access all their recipes. You have to pay uh, a fee to become premium and access right. all their cocktails. But some of those premium drinks are well-known drinks, and then you can go find them Uh-oh. elsewhere on the internet. True. True. That was, what that I, was my workaround last night. <laughs> yeah. Because Dad and I I've were having that. game night and drink. I've used that cocktail one before just to find some uh, cool drinks I like, but yeah, said to check out the one you mentioned. Yeah, the make a cocktail one is is pretty cool because you it's like can... that uh, that recipe app where you just put everything that's in your fridge. Yeah, and it will give you recipes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is just the bar version of it, and it'll give you <laughs> workarounds like like if. If there were a couple drinks that I was looking at last night that had um, curacao, and I don't have any curacao, any blue curacao. So it was like, if you want to do a personal riff on this drink, then exchange your curacao for triple sec. Okay. And it's not the same drink, but it's, you know, something else that's fun. So is blue curacao just the same as regular curacao with blue food coloring in it? I honestly don't know. Okay. Not I've never being... had it before, but I saw it at the store last time I went and I was like, what is this? <laughs> it looks I bet so you weird. it's flavored different. Yeah. So, Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps us up. Yes, it does. Um, it was nice chatting with we you. We definitely didn't make Washington look good today, but. No, we did not. Whatever. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Washington. Washingtonians. Yeah. Washingtonians, is that the right word? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Maybe some of our Washington fans will write us and be like, yeah, that's cool. Or no, you guys fucked it up. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Stay in your lane, Oregonians. <laughs> All righty. Well, I love you, Mom. 
Love you too, bud. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.